Good morning, everyone. We want to start this morning and just ask a quick question. And this is kind of like, what is the emotional response? So when you hear the word witnessing, what's the first emotional response that you have? When you talk about sharing your faith, when you think about telling other people about Jesus Christ, what's the emotion that goes through? Is the emotion one of fear? Is it one of guilt? Is it one of... uh, being afraid of rejection? What is it that goes through your mind? And what is it that goes through your mind if you think about um, sharing Christ in a difficult situation? That's what we're going to look at this morning because we're, as we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see uh, the Apostle Paul as he speaks to this. And we're going to kind of walk through and see what it is that he went through when he was in Thessalonians. So, before we get to the actual passage itself, Um, We want to get a little bit of background. So the Apostle Paul uh, ends up going on a couple of different mission trips. The first time he goes out, he goes from city to city, and he preaches Christ. And he goes through, and a couple of things happen, and it seems to happen every time and in every city that he goes in there. So what happens, he goes in, he goes to the synagogue, and he preaches the Word of Christ. Some people accept it, they believe it, some people don't, and they reject him. And then he goes out and he preaches to the people who are in the cities, the non-Jewish people. And the same thing happens there. Some people listen, some people believe, some people are saved, and other people reject him. And when they reject him, they don't just reject Paul and what he says and just as a kind of in words, but they malign him, they persecute him, they beat him up, they drive him out of the city. And it happens again and again. So the first place he goes to, he goes to a place called Antioch. And here's what it says, the Scripture says. It says, The Jews stirred up persecution against Paul and against Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. The Apostle Paul goes from there, after being driven out of this city, he goes to the next city, which is Iconium. And it says there's an attempt made by both the Gentiles and the Jews and the rulers. It says they mistreat him, and they stone him. They, thar- they start throwing rocks at him, and they drive him out of the city. So he goes to the next city, which is called Lystra, and people from the first city, Antioch, follow him to the next city. And the people from that other city, Iconium, also follow him. So from people from both of these cities follow him all the way to Lystra. And they persa- persuade the crowds, and they get the crowds... Um, all wound up. And so they stone Paul. They take rocks. They throw them as hard as they can at this guy, Paul. And they do it for so long that they think he's dead. And they drag him out into the city. And they leave him there. When Paul's done, when Paul wakes up, he's not dead. And he goes back and he wants to go back when he leaves that city to go back. He goes to those previous two cities so he can encourage and build up the believers that are in that city. He goes to Jerusalem, and then he has this word, the Jerusalem Council, he meets with them, and he goes out on another missionary mission. Can you imagine that? I mean, after the first one, don't you think you would just stay home? 
They, <laughs> that's what I would do, right? I would probably just stay home. Because if someone's like beat me and they've you know, thrown rocks at me and they think I'm dead, they go back. But Paul goes out again. And this time he goes to Philippi. He goes to Philippi, and what happens there is they seize, he's got a guy with Silas with him and uh, Timothy as well, but they seize Paul and Silas and they drag him into the marketplace. They drag him in front of the rulers. And when they bring him in front of these rulers, they say, these men are the Jews who have, that are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd then joins in and they attack him again. The rulers says they tear their garments off and they give orders to beat them with rods. So they're in a public place. They're stripped and they're beaten with rods in a public place. They're then thrown into prison. They're then shackled into prison. When they leave that city, they go on to the next one. Once again, how can you leave that and continue to preach, to continue to witness, to continue to tell other people about Christ? If everywhere you go, they harass you and beat you and reject you and they make fun of you, what do you do? And how do you keep going on? So let's see what they do when they get to Thessalonica. So we have this, and this is the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And this is the response of the Thessalonians. It says this, or the Thessalonians, I guess. Um, it says, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus who are proclaimed to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. So the same thing happens. The city is in uproar. They see Jason, whose house is next to the synagogue, and they think that Paul is in there. So they drag out Jason, trying to find him. And so when all this happens, these, the people who are in Thessal Thessalonica send him away right away by night. They steal him out by night because they're afraid of his life. So, if you were in his shoes, in Paul's shoes, kind of two things. When you're going from these cities, what would your attitude be like? What would your heart be like when this same thing has happened over and over again? How much of yourself would you be willing to put on the line? when you're going there. And number two, after you've left one of these cities, what would your reflection be? Would you consider it to be successful? Would you consider it to be a valuable trip in there? So today's passage that we're looking at is 1 Thessalonians. 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So let's read this. Because this is what Paul says to the Thessalonians as he's writing this letter later on. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. It is totally amazing to me that Paul looks at this, and the first thing he says is, our coming to you was not in vain. Because if someone tried to kill me and someone drove me out of the city, I would consider that a failure. <laughs> I would consider that to be in vain. But Paul's perspective is very, very different. And his understanding of God, and his understanding of the gospel, and his understanding of the importance of it is much greater than his opinion of man. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at his time in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, and we want to answer some questions, some basic questions. Who, what, where, why, when? And just kind of walk through that and answer these questions. So, first of all, what does Paul say that he did when they were in Thessalonica? He said, For you yourselves know that we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, but as you know, we had boldness in God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul says, we declared to you the gospel of God. He tells them about Jesus Christ. He says, so we speak. See, sometimes we try to make things complicated. Or sometimes we feel like we don't really know what to say and we don't really know what to do. We feel like we could never be a witness. We feel like we could never talk to um, anyone. What would we say? We don't really know what to say. And Paul makes it so simple. He says, we declare the gospel. We told them about Jesus Christ. In that Acts uh, passage that we read, he said, we explained and proved that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And this Jesus who I proclaim is that Christ. And that's what the gospel is. This is what they were telling the people, that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And so when Paul goes from place to place, he's talking about telling people that Jesus Christ died for his sins. So, the Apostle Paul goes on in this section, he says a couple of things. He says, this is what we did. We declared Jesus Christ, Him crucified. And he said, there's a, there's a way that we did it, and there's a way that we did not do it. And so let's look, first of all, at how he didn't do it. And we're going to look at his message, what he said, his method of saying it, and then we're going to look at his heart as well, because he talks about all three of these things. So first of all, he says, our appeal does not spring from error, or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. 
Paul knew that what he was saying was the truth. There was no error in what he was saying. He was not trying to deceive them with lies. But he knows that this is how God is going to save people. And if they don't believe, then they, and if they reject him, then they will perish forever. And think about what he's gone through, right? So he went through all of this, the beatings, the stoning, the being left for dead, the harassment. Do you think he would do it if he didn't believe with all his heart that what he was telling was the absolute truth? If there was any error in there, if there was any deceit, if he was trying to lie, do you think he would continue to do this? As one commentator put it, people are prepared to suffer only for what they believe in. They will only suffer for what they truly believe. And Paul was ready to not only suffer, but he was ready to die for what he believed in because he knew that this was the truth. And he says, there is no error. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And so Paul goes on and he talks about his method to do. So um, when he talks about his method, he says, I never came to you with words of flattery. I never came to you with words of flattery. He has the same concept, and we don't use terms like words of flattery in there. But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And in this, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he says this. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in, the demonstration, in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, people are never saved by you. People are never saved by your speech. People are never uh, saved by your wisdom or your logic or your reason or your argumentative, your persuasion skills as, at all, right? Because we know that a charismatic person can change our emotions. We know that. A persuasive person can win an argument. We know that. There's some people that we get into an argument with or a discussion or a debate and we pretty much know before we start that we're going to lose, right? Because people are like that. And sometimes we can't. And those real charismatic people, we're swept up by their emotion, we're swept up by their enthusiasm, we're swept up by all this. But what happens when you get home? What happens when you're away from that person, right? Their influence fades. Your emotions settle down. And you do what you're going to do. And so people's faith does not rest in us, but it rests in the power of God. It is not your wisdom. It is the power of God. And so Paul says, I didn't even try to do this. I only preached Christ and His Word. And it's His power that has changed you. It is His power that changes life. Paul then goes on and he addresses his heart. He says, what were our hearts like? He says, we did not do this to please man. He says, we did not seek glory from men. That could, so seeking glory, trying to please people at all, will never work. Um, if you are witnessing to please people or to get glory for yourself, 
you'll be empty. You will become burned out. You will never succeed because you cannot do enough. You cannot change hearts. You cannot change lives. And you might feel good for a while if you say something, but the praise of people soon fades. And new demands begin again. So they also said this. They said, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And that could really mean a couple of things. Number one is the apostles of Christ. They could have demanded that the people listened. They could have demanded that the people obeyed what they said in a sense. But the other thing, and probably closer because he's going to talk about this later on in the uh, chapter, and I think it's next week's message that they're going to talk about this, but he says, he says it also could have been the expectation of financial support. And again, that's going to be spelled out next week, but the idea there is that he could have, as an apostle, demanded financial support. But he also says in this passage that he did not do this for greed. So if we look at these things, if we do this for greed, it's wanting a financial result for, for a bad reason, an illegitimate reason. If he asked for financial support as an apostle of Christ, it's a positive, good, legitimate request. But Paul's saying, I didn't do either of these. I didn't do this out of greed, and I didn't do this out of, out of the, uh, the ability that I had as apostle of Christ. He said, we did neither. We came to you without this. We came to you just to preach the word of Christ. So he says, that's how we didn't do it. So the question becomes, how did he do it? Because as we listen to this, we want to avoid the things that he avoided, right? We don't want to do this to please people, whether it's to please the people in our family or our small group or our church, or whether it's to please the people that we're talking to. We don't want to do these things. So Paul says, this is how I did it. And this is really what we want to really understand. So how did they do it? They were met with hostility everywhere they went. And so, once again, the question that I posed earlier is if you're in his shoes and you know that this is what's going to happen, what is your attitude like? What is your heart like? And how much of yourself are you willing to put on the line for this? So, this passage, verse 7 and 8 of this chapter, is like one of my all-time absolute favorite passages in the Scripture. So let's read this again. Uh, this is verse 7 and 8. This is what we were like. He said, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. They were gentle like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Picture a new mom taking care of this new baby. And think of the gentleness that's there. This is what Paul is talking about. I remember when Annie was little, when she was just a newborn, and Mickey used to stand by the door and just watch her sleep. And one night she said, I just really want to hold her. I just want to pick her up, and I just want to hold her, but I don't want to wake her up because, you know, she'll lose her sleep and this and that. And I told her, I'm like, pick her up. Hold her. I mean, she's going to fall asleep again. So Mickey went in there, picked her up, put her in her arms, sat in the chair, and just held her. And she just looked at her in the quiet light of the moon, just holding her and just looking at her. And this is what Paul is saying. 
Paul is saying this is what you are to be like. You are to be gentle, like that nursing mother. You know, many of us have experienced the opposite of that. Or we know people who have experienced the opposite of that. We know ones who have been treated roughly and not gently at all. Ones who have been treated harshly. There's a guy named Dave Burkett, and he wrote a book called When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. And on the back of it, it says, it's help for those who have been harmed by Christian and for those who have inflicted the wounds. One of the... Um, Reviewers says, Dave Burkett sends a wake-up call to all believers that our behavior and our attitudes can have a profound effect on how the message is received. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, be gentle, like a nursing mother with her own child. The next thing Paul walks through is Paul walks through the way he felt about them, this love that he had for them. Um, he says, we were affectionately desirous of you. You had become very dear to us. How big of a thing do you think it is for people that you're talking to to know that you care about them? Do the people that you talk to, do the people around you say, oh yeah, they definitely, definitely love me and care for me? Listen to what else Paul goes on and says this. And just picture once again, he's talking to them in the midst of all this conflict that's going through. He's preached the word, and some of them have received it, and some of them have rejected it. But he says, we were ready to share with you. So he's talking to the people before they've even listened. He's like, we were ready. He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Let me say that again. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very own selves. Selves. What is it like to have someone willing to share their own selves with you? What kind of an impact would that have on your life? Can you think of anybody in your life who's been like that or you have seen who was ready to share with you their very own lives? Jesus Christ says that the greatest commandment is to love the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second commandment is like it. He says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when I was thinking about it, I was trying to picture, what's, the, what's a picture of this like? What's the most powerful image that I can come up with? And I pictured this young man on his knee in front of a shy young woman. And he says to her, I want to share with you not only the world, but my very self. I want to share my very self with you. And Jesus Christ uses the same language when he talks about us. Because Jesus Christ uses the image that he is the groom and that we as the church are the bride. And he's willing to share with us not only the gospel, but his own life with us. Um, you know, one of the things that we, um, when it comes to witnessing and to telling people about Christ, one of the things that we battle with is fear, right? We're just nervous or we're afraid. We don't really know what to say. And Paul comes in there, and he definitely had legitimate reasons for fear, right? I mean, a lot more, I mean, total specific reasons, because he had gone from place to place to place. And the things that we would normally fear about happened and happened and happened. And yet he comes in there, and he comes in 
with love. Willing to share the gospel. Willing to share his own life. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. If we want to battle this fear, one of the ways we do it is through love. Is reaching out. Is loving. Is being willing to share with them not only the gospel, but our very own lives. So the next question is, kind of why did Paul do it, right? Why did he go from city to city? Why did he encounter all of this and continue to do it, continue to do it, continue to do it? Because once again, this is a critical thing that we need to understand. Um, Because it says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. What could cause him to do that? Four reasons. And these reasons are huge. These reasons are critical that we understand it. Um, First reason we've already talked about. The first reason why Paul did this was because his faith in the gospel was that the gospel is the absolute truth. And he had absolute certainty that the gospel was the way and the only way that people are saved. Second reason. Paul says this. He says, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. See, Paul knew that he had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And Paul took that seriously. He lived his life in the knowledge that he had been entrusted with the gospel. You too have been entrusted with the gospel. Have you ever sat down and thought about that fact? That God has trusted you with the gospel. He has given you the gospel to share. Um, Let's read some passages from Romans uh, chapter 10. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You are the ones that God has sent. You are the ones that God has entrusted with the gospel. Paul says he was entrusted with the gospel. He said, so we speak. And so his kind of thought is, we've been entrusted with the gospel. What else would we do? But we would speak. And so he speaks. The third reason why they spoke, um, because they knew that their speaking, their coming to Thessalonica was not in vain. They knew that if that if they spoke, God would save souls. Let's read Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes up from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I, pur- which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. They knew that if they preached God's word, that word would not go return empty at all. The fourth reason why Paul spoke 
And this is the most compelling reason of them all, and the one that we really need to understand is that Paul spoke not to please man, but to please God. Paul spoke to please God. So we've already kind of talked about the opposite of speaking to please people. But Paul speaks to please God. He knows that it's not enough to please people. But he says, I preach not to please God. So, why do you speak? Or why do you not speak? Because if it comes to just pleasing man, most likely you're going to be silent. Because people don't want to hear about sin. And they don't want to hear about condemnation. And they don't really want to hear these things that you're telling them. But if we're preaching, or we're speaking, or we're talking to please God, it comes out completely um, different at all. And, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the first things that preachers learn, or people who are preaching learn, is the lesson that they say, you should always preach this sermon to yourself. Before you ever preach it to anybody else, you should preach it to yourself. And I'll be honest with you, this is probably one of the hardest ones to preach to myself at all. Because I struggle with this. And I struggle to speak. And I struggle with trying to please people. Because my nature is to please people. Yes, I want to please God. But so many times I want to please people. So I end up not saying anything. A few years back, a friend of mine is pastor um, a different church over here, and we were talking about this very subject. And he said, you know what's the most frustrating thing to me? He said, I am so bold on Sunday morning. I'm so bold in church. But when I leave this church, when I walk outside of that front door, I don't hardly say anything. And he was so frustrated with it. Because he's like, I want to please God. And yet I want to please man. And in here, where if I preach the Word of God, I'm pleasing the people here because they want to worship God. And they want to hear God preached. But when I go outside, it's completely different. John Stott says this. He said, Paul writes, we speak as men who are tested by God. Approved by God trusted by God, and are seeking to please God. No secret of Christian ministry is more important than its fundamental God-centeredness. The stewards of the gospel are primarily responsible neither to the church, nor to its synods, or its leaders, but to God himself. That, John Stott says, is the secret of Christian ministry. And that is to be God-centered. The big secret of Christian ministry is to try to please God and not to please man. So, next what we want to do is we want to look at how did it affect Paul and his company? How did their preaching affect the Thessalonians? Thessalonians, And how is it going to affect us if we do the same thing? So how did it affect Paul? Because Paul says, we witness in the midst of much conflict. They were affected by it physically, spiritually, emotionally. They suffered. They were shamefully treated. They were maligned. They were attacked. At times, they were completely overwhelmed. Listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. to 
He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks in our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Do you see that? He said, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were forced to rely not on ourselves, but on God. We were forced to rely on God because we were so utterly burdened. And then he has this hope. This hope peeks through as he relies on God because he says the hope lies in the fact that God has rescued us in the past. The hope is that God is going to rescue us again. And the ultimate hope is that God will, or I'm sorry, in the past, in the present, that God will rescue us now. And the ultimate hope is that he will rescue us again in the future. They knew that God was going to rescue them. And that's where they placed their hope. So he said, even though we were so utterly burdened, we relied on God, who will save us as well. Um, and so they knew that they would encounter difficult times. They knew that they would suffer, just like Jesus did. But they also knew that God would save them and God would save those people that they were talking to as well. We're all saved because someone talked to us. And Paul knew that they would be saved as well. How did it affect the Thessalonians themselves? Paul's coming was not in vain, was it? Because the gospel came to them in word, in power, in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. It says the Thessalonians received the word in much affliction and the joy of the Holy Spirit. They received it in affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It says that the Word of God went forth from them. Paul came, Paul spoke, and they now speak to all the people around him. So Paul at the beginning of the letter says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, continually mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question then is, how will it affect you? How will it affect you? You will encounter difficulties. The Apostle Paul did. The other apostles did. The disciples did. Jesus did. You will as well. But you will also encounter those same blessings that they encountered as well. First Thessalonians 2 in the end of this chapter says, For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before the Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Is it not you? The other thing that's amazing that how it will affect you and preaching is found in the book of Philemon's chapter or I mean verse 6. It says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In other words, if you share your faith, you will get a more full knowledge of the good things that are for you in for the sake of Christ. Your faith will increase. Your knowledge will increase. Um, these good things will increase as you share your faith. 
as well. So, some will listen to you and will be saved. Some will reject you and they will perish. But as you have faith in God, as you obey God, as you seek to be God-centered and you seek to please God, you will be blessed by God. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So, how can we do it? Last question, how do we do this? God has called you to speak. So speak, right? Sounds easy, right? Speak, here's the deal. All right, you should speak. Um, But it's not that easy, is it? It just seems like it's so difficult. And you know what? We're not the only ones who have a difficult time with it. The disciples had a difficult time with it. The Apostle Paul had a difficult time with this. Let's look at these three passages. The first passage right here is in Acts, and these are the disciples right afterwards, or their first church gathered together. They say, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're asking God, let us speak your word with boldness in the face of their threats. Um, The next two are from the Apostle Paul himself. Make supplication. In other words, pray for all the saints. And pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador and change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here's the guy who's gone from church to church to church, or city to city to city, preaching, and he's like, pray for me so I can speak boldly. Pray for me so I can speak in the way that I should. The next one, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So, pray for each other. 